0: The Almeida Theatre Podcast.
1: So, welcome to this Almeida Podcast uh, celebrating Albion and it's screening on the 16th, which is this Sunday uh, on BBC4 at the ungodly hour of 10 past 10. But if you don't have a chance to see it then, then you can catch it in uh, catch up on iPlayer um, after the event, I think for at least a month afterwards. Uh, I'm thrilled to be talking to Mike Bartlett, who I've been working with on and off for. 10 years, I think, uh, on a whole range of projects, both as a producer and as a director, uh, on plays like Earthquakes in London, which we did at the National, and King Charles III, which he won most of the awards going for um, a few years ago at the Almeida, and Albion itself, which we've done uh, two times now, uh, immediately after the Brexit uh, referendum, and then just before lockdown, two seismic moments for the nation. Um, So Mike, how are you? How how are you finding lockdown and the, the corona moment? I'm
0: I'm good, I'm good, I'm finding it, it's a weird mix, isn't it, of sort of, you know, you, it's a weird thing that you have in a, a moment in your life which you know you're going to remember forever, you know, mm. you're going this period of time is going to both be sort of mythologised and, but also in our heads, we're just going to absolutely remember all the ins and outs of this year for the rest of our yeah. lives, and it's quite odd to be in the middle of that,
1: isn't it? Really odd, and really odd to think whether it's going to be ironically remembered or politically remembered like, like I do PE with Joe with my kids and I mm. saying to my daughter we'll get you a, a t-shirt because when you're a student you're all going to go to PE with Joe rave parties <laughs> yeah. and because they'll be that generation but then of course at other times you think the world's never going to be the same again the economy's never going to be the same again and this isn't like I don't know what was it for I guess the fall of the Berlin Wall for, for my generation this could be something much more lasting and changed the fabric of society and um, and certainly theatre and not knowing that is so weird it's, especially when it's by and large been against this backdrop of a lot of sunshine and you know time with family and you know uh, you know welcome quietness at some points as well as great uncertainty
0: yeah yeah and it's, it's interesting talking to people the people who are desperate for it to go back to the normal that it was and mm. the people who are desperate for the changes for positive changes that they see sort of coming out of it both personally and nationally to be sustained Mm -hmm. and I think that's sort of fascinating about uh, it's an interesting test of how we see the world and also how comfortable we were in ourselves with our old normal you know um, and I'm finding that really interesting
1: yeah yeah so anyway we're here to talk about Albion in particular Um, should we just go back to how the play I mean I know you talked in other places about this but, but how the play began and the earliest conversations that I guess we had about it as well. I mean, you'd been thinking about writing this garden play initially. Was that the the starting point? Yeah, yeah, it
0: was a it, yeah. There was a it was a garden play. I mean, I sort of have this. I have I have plays in my head that they're often sort of forms or events that I sort of uh, think will happen eventually. But often they don't have any content. They're just they're just a sort of that event would be really fun or really interesting. Um, and then they wait for content. Um, and the, so I had a sense of this garden play and I had it as the, it was sort of the joke sequel. A lot of, a lot, a lot of times when I'm working on plays, as you know, I have a sort of joke sequel to the play. Um, <laughs> if we were going gonna to do a, an earthquakes in London too, what would it be? And, and for that hmm. one, it was no snow in Moscow. And it was set in, in a country house when climate change had hit and, um, the sort of young girl um who you know there's a tiny bit of it at the end of earthquakes in London in the play, and this this young girl walk, walks the country to affect um social and political change to affect climate change, but she's never been to London. So like a Chekhov play, um London is this this you know mythical place that none of them have been to because people don't travel anymore. And that play got quite in a way quite far in my head in terms of what the feel of it would be that. It would be very, it would play on the sort of Chekhovian sense of characters allowing time to speak and there's there's less of a rush. The earthquakes in London was too much, you know, was the mantra. It was mm-hmm. one thing after another and it was fast, fast, fast. It was like reflecting that that sort of urban moment that we were in then. Um, and this would be the, op. it would be rural, it would be, there's no rush, you know, a bit like you get in the Chekhov plays. And so that flavour was there, but but it didn't really have a, a content, and then and then Brexit happened, and I think the garden as metaphor became clearer and clearer in my head. That that there's something about a garden, about the land, about my house. My house and home is my castle. Um, about the Englishness, the the English country garden, um, that all felt like it might be a, a sort of a, a fertile place to to write a story about. Hmm. And and to write a story quite honestly about um, the rights and wrongs of that, you know, that 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 people like gardens; they're very beautiful, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with them, is there? Um, and and so that felt like quite a, a useful neutral place to tell a story about national identity and and, and what it is to be to be British.
1: Mm. It's funny about gardens, isn't it? Because I guess on the one hand we think of yeah national trust, and I guess all the sense of grand families and privilege and of course you know whether you've got a garden or not has been a big sort of boundary line I guess in terms of your experience of coronavirus particularly in cities um, and yet of course you know the the cottage garden or the um, you know, allotment you know that the, there are garden span class divides as well and yet uh, certainly I think we talked about it at the time when we when I first sort of began airing the play with Some of the younger members of of my team and we we laughed about it at some levels. That you know there was some sense that that a play set in a garden was, you know, maybe innately bourgeois. Do you know what I mean? There there was some sort of sub-Aichborne kind of um, uh, soil kind of covering it, uh, rather than Chekhov. And uh, what what do you feel about that now, in terms of you know the, the potential Penny Keith of it? I I think it's more than a potential penny keith I think <laughs> I think I think the
0: only thing that would frustrate me is if people thought that wasn't deliberate um yeah the, the part of the idea of the play was to write a play that appealed to the people that voted for brexit you know what mm-hmm. what play would they like to go and see well it would feature you know a lovely garden and french windows mm-hmm. and comings and goings and and um manners and and betrayals and but but you know mm-hmm. not too bad and um and uh, a, a load of white people as well, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's that absolutely was in the form of it, in, in that those are the people that wanted Brexit to happen. And I think rather than um, there's a shad, rather than write a play which is caricaturing those people or simply attacking them, which in, in fact is what is the book that Catherine's written in the play. Um, I sort of felt that, that, that there wasn't much purpose in that and that actually um, it was more interesting to to both in the form and in the characters find a way of really getting inside them and that form and understand why they feel it has strengths so or why why also, to be honest, why there's a bit of me who was totally brought up with Penny Keith and BBC sitcoms and and, and, and you know, those sorts of plays being the main plays on my school bookshelf. um, What, what, what is it about that, that English British myth that appeals to me? And I, Mm -hmm. I think that again, one can't, you can't write a play without trying to honestly interrogate the bits of you that you don't understand or that you aren't a hundred percent proud of, or that don't fit with your politics. Mm -hmm. And I think the play is a sort of meeting place of, some of the stuff that I find instinctively comforting at, at, and at the same time I find politically and personally troubling.
1: Yeah. Can I just talk a little bit about literally the act of writing then? Because on you've got a number of sort of long lead times in terms of the interest in the garden play and the Chekhov and the, the sort of follow-up to Earthquakes in London and uh, in some ways, I guess, the sort of formal... Um, uh, reworkings of Chekhov, Echo the the reworkings of Shakespeare that were in King Charles the Third, so all those long gestations, and and of course you'd moved as well back to the country, so I guess to some extent we're personally kind of you know engaged with that, and yet my, I mean I can't remember all the details, but I do remember at the time when you and I talked and saying, and you saying, or oh, you you felt you wanted to write something about Brexit and the referendum and but you weren't sure whether you had nothing. And I think we, we held that slot open to the 11th hour of the 11th day. And then suddenly you delivered this play, I mean, or almost completely finished play. And did you write it really quickly in the end? Or, and it's a line of the play, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or I, mean, I mean, did it come together very effortlessly, is what I mean? Or, or uh, tell us about the actual act of writing it.
0: Well, I think I was thinking about it from the beginning of... The year and I think we were editing Earthqu- um, uh, King Charles III That's at right, the time yeah. I mean so we yeah. were talking about stuff and I was thinking about it and and I was being very I couldn't pin it down I couldn't quite work out what it was and then I remember a conversation I think god this is gonna sound super lovely Almeida but I remember con- <laughs> apologies all round brace yourself um, it was at the ink press night and it was you and James Graham and me were talking and um, and I was sort of oscillating about it and saying, oh, I think it's this and I think it's that. I don't know whether it should be more Chekhov or if it should be something else. I'm not sure what. And I think you said, I think it should be Chekhov. And you were very certain. And I, I remember that as being the moment I went, OK, I'm going to write it now. And then and then I think more than any play I've written, I did you know i did a thousand words a day or whatever i did i did a chunk a day because i knew that what i mustn't do was write it fast like like my play cock is written very quickly and it's Mm. that was sort of deliberate it's got that energy to it but i'd had a suspicion that Chekhov wasn't written you know in 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 a weekend Mm. and um and i sort of felt like if i rationed myself each day to how much i was going to write i wouldn't be looking I wouldn't be looking to the next plot point. I would be enjoying the moment that I was in, you know, or, or at least investigating it. Um, I suppose writing Charles was a bit like that because of the verse. it just slowed me down so much mm-hmm. that, that it, it had that effect. And I actually sort of wanted to capture that, that same um, feeling. And, and so, so actually I, I, I think I did write it relatively quickly, like within a month, but, but it was amazingly consistent for me i'm I'm not really normally a very consistent writer at all i sort of do a lot in two days and then nothing for weeks but with this it was yeah it was a chunk every mm-hmm. day and um and i think i had a plan about where it was going from the beginning which obviously helps and isn't always true
1: Mm-hmm. and and did you i mean it's a great element of all your writing but but i think with albie more than anything and, and we were lucky to have both times really extraordinary actors, but they were, I'm sure drawn to the fact that the characters were so vividly written on the page and so symphonic. And did, did could you hear them when you, I mean, did you see them very clearly when you were writing them? Yeah. Uh,
0: y- yeah, I did. I, as I saw them as if they were in um, a Chekhov, a production of a, a sort of English production of a Chekhov play, mm-hmm. um, which I'd seen quite a few of. Um, and, and and usefully I'd gone from hating Chekhov as a student you know I remember like I remember in the student drama society saying oh it's boring it's slow (laughs) come on let's do something it's not like real life it's it's you know what is it it's not even that political I -hmm. think I said and then and then as I got older um it's meant more and more to me and I sort of understood it more and and um so I, I I sort of saw it end on in a in a very traditional sort of setting and the characters, um, being quite distinctive, like those Chekhovian characters are in, Mm. in terms of their energy, you know, are they dominating? Are they laconic and laid back? Are they, are they romantic? Are they passionate? You know, it was, it was those sort of attitudes that I think were driving the characters in this play more than any play I've written. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that like, I've worked with a lot of the actors, a lot of actors more than once, and I love that. I really, I really do. But it's it's actually really rare that I ever write for an actor because because I do I, I find that I, the character always exists separately from them. And I think actually actors like that. They like stretching to reach a character. Mm. um So so yeah, they they were they were pretty they were pretty clear as sort of Chekhovian types. I think.
1: Yeah. But I guess pretty much from the moment we started talking about it, Vicky Hamilton was, you know, even though, bless her, she's probably 10 years too young for the role, yeah. but, but was, you know, sort of very much in our minds for Audrey as a central character. What, 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 I mean, you'd worked with her before on Love, Love, Love. What, what is it about her you think that, A, is so brilliant, but also so right for the role? Well, I
0: mean, she's, she's I, I love um, stagecraft, I mean, I love the the sense of someone that can hold, that understands the mechanics of a theatre and can utilise it, but in such an organic way that you feel like you're watching something, your, your suspension of disbelief is complete. And she totally has that. She's, she's just this, you know... You know, she can just completely control the stage, the audience, the rhythm. She knows what she's doing in a very technical way, but yet it doesn't read like that. And I I think Mm. it's sort of astonishing every time I've seen her in anything. And I think linked in with that is that I feel like my writing is quite technical. I I get on people's nerves about rhythms and commas and, you know, not putting pauses in the middle of a line and Mm. all all those sorts of things, which a lot of actors find quite restrictive. Um, because it means they can't do their thing. They can't. And they feel. They feel it, it stops them inhabiting it. And I've, I've discovered with my work that ideally, an actor goes through the technical process of mastering the rhythm of it and gets so in tune with that that they can come out the other side and then feel free with it because they don't have to worry about that stuff. They actually can then just perform it. And and Vic, mm. she she um, she instinctively does that. And sort of more than that, often is that she understands that you can do the rhythm of a line. But you can do the rhythm of a line and still perform it in a hundred different ways and you can make a choice on it and um there's a sort of musicality to to watching her um mm. which which is just uh fantastic and also in in that real way of a sort of leading actor she she the she just captures attention she mm. you know she she i can't imagine her being very good um as a sort of uh an extra yeah exactly <laughs> um because she's too fascinating too interesting to watch yeah. um uh and um yeah it's brilliant she's yeah. fantastic
1: yeah can we just talk a little bit more about the, the craft of it though because um you know i one of the things as a director is you, of course you see a show scores and scores of times and you know if they have long runs then you know it's it's uh probably a better artist than me who who doesn't occasionally feel longueurs watching the show for the fiftieth time or something. But Albin genuinely I never felt that. I always found new things, partly because um the there were often so many characters on stage, you were finding so many cross currents mm-hmm. and subtexts going between them. And I, I think that was um, enhanced by Miriam's design Miriam Beaker's yeah. design in the round. And and it's one of the things I really loved about actually filming it and, and the editing process we had, to be able to kind of draw attention to some of the the subtextual secret work that was happening close up between the actors. But but I always used to really admire rehearsals. I know this is a really basic thing, but it's it's everything in some ways, particularly in a more um, unified play, is the way, the elegance of the way that you manage to get characters on and off. <laughs> you know, sometimes with very mild motivation, sometimes with incredibly important things, but the rhythm of how characters bled on and off stage, just seemed so masterful. And was that? I mean, that that craft. Yeah, you know, many characters on stage, the the easy movement between them. Was that something that takes a lot of hard work, or or is that experience, or is that you think natural writing? Uh,
0: well, I think no. I think it, I think it is craft. I think though it, it's. Um, I think some of that is done in the planning. I think to to get them on and off stage. But the other thing particularly with this play and i'm not sure i've really consciously thought about this is that i think their attitudes get them on and off stage um Mm -hmm. that if um in in a very basic way if a character is a drunk then they'll always be looking for the next drink so you can get them off stage that way Mm -hmm. if they're if they're laid back then they can just wander off stage and Mm -hmm. i think that just thinking about this play i think in the planning you can do the the broad constellations. Okay, I need a big scene with these two characters. Where are the others going to go? Um, the sort of sweep of it. Um, but I think the attitudes help also to hide the theatricality of them literally, uh, you know, they're conveniently arriving and conveniently disappearing because mm-hmm. you don't see it. If they're, if they're performing their intention and their... And in, in a way, attitude, I think, is better than intention for this form because intention sounds very... You know, like motivated. and I don't think it always is in this. But but if they're performing their attitude, then I think I think they, they take their own world with them off stage, and that sort of masks the the form mm. of it. Um, I was also I, now what we're talking about. I also remember thinking, um, I I think I have a, a tick or a sort of habit towards two characters talking to each other, um, to you know, simple dialogue, and I enjoy. I suppose it's to do with the sort of symmetry of an, of, of staging a dialectic argument is like this view versus that one. Mm. And I think I had, and I, and I think that's something that we've talked about or had talked about before I wrote this place. I saw, I I think I had your voice in my head going, shake it up, you know, have five characters, now have three, now, now have one, have a moment with just one, have two, you know, and, and and I think that helps to, to mask the, um, the, the, the convenience of it as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, Uh, it's so impressive and i think particularly i mean each act is wonderful but that third act with the big showdown between um catherine and audrey is just such a exquisitely rhythmic piece of writing and 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 i was going to ask you which bit did you find hardest to write of the whole thing uh well you know we talked we talked a lot about the end
0: um Mm. uh and i think that 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 was tricky. I think, um, I, think coming back, I think coming back after the interval, it's hard to sort of, um, you know, you come into the play at the beginning and you're learning the world and you don't want it to go fast and it's great. But I, I, I don't think I had an instinctive sense of, of how you get back into a, one of these plays after an interval. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's things have to have changed and it has to sort of feel like there has to be some time passing and and um all of that. But in a way the play you want the play to build across the the acts. So that interval is 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 difficult in some senses. So I was trying to trying to find a way of it being um you know, and that in a way that 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 pre interval moment is is not Chekhovian. I mean it mm-hmm. is in terms of it being a melodramatic moment just before the act break, but but it, that feels more contemporary, and I think that moment is recognizing that there is an interval, um, mm. in a way that I don't think Chekhov really does that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, coming back in after it, picking that ball back up again was was tricky. Mm. Um, and then and then the ending I think is difficult in a way that all endings are difficult, but for some reason this this particularly so because I think um, it was marrying that. We all have our views on the, poli- the politics, and we're reading, we're, we're all going hell for leather reading our metaphor into this garden and to Audrey's actions at the end. Complicated by the fact that we may actually have come to sympathise and love that central character, even if she's absolutely against our own personal views. And so, the question of where do we leave her at the end of the play? What is her final action? What, 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 what's, her, what's the end point? Mm-hmm. I found that really difficult, you know, all the way through um, into rehearsals and and yeah. I think into previews, didn't we? I, I just how we quite land Close the deep. ending, yeah,
1: yeah. And it was funny; it almost felt like the um, that strange thing where the character almost takes over from the the play in a way. The 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 the, the, the ending has to be the logical end for the protagonist. Rather than through the the argument in some way, even even if the end is almost oppositional to the argument, it just sort of, it's like what's what's dramatically satisfying in a way. But but it was, and I felt it was very different the two times we did it, as the whole show was, wasn't it? It it Mm. felt that Audrey was, to me, it felt Audrey was a much more um, affectionately comic character the first time out, but that people two years down the line with all the, it's easy you know, to forget because of the coronavirus, but just how exhausting and punishing all the various iterations of Brexit possible outcomes were. It felt like she was certainly maybe in the cloistered worlds of Islington much more savagely comic uh, the second time out. Did you, did you feel that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing is that Vic it was always
0: clear that, you know, I remember us talking about what, what, what the play's about Brexit and she said it's about grief it's mm. about it's about a mother missing her son her dead son that's what it's about and mm. and you know it's like that's that's the beauty of working with actors in a room is i spend hours in you know on my desk thinking about metaphor and subject matter mm. and 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 character in there and what you know the character's doing and then you you give it to someone who actually has to play it and the clar- they have to have that clarity mm. and absolutely that that told us sort of what what the ending would be but i think also it, it that grief is also a grief for a lost a lost country mm-hmm. and whether that country ever existed in the first place she doesn't know none of us do because we weren't there when it was made or mm-hmm. we don't really know how it came into being but she's feeling grief for it nonetheless and mm-hmm. actually i found the second time because the the quite i i think i think brexit was we were exhausted of Brexit, rather than right in the middle of it and massively mm-hmm. invested, because it sort of had, ha- had happened, or it had happened, that it allowed that central character and her grief to to be even more clear, I think, and it enabled all the characters to, to slightly exist on their own terms um, more successfully, mm-hmm. which made the play better, you know. And and yeah. I think that's that's the thing that you know you'll always be saying, and rehearsal room and actors will always be telling me is it, it's got to be about these human beings and what they're doing and the sub, you know the, the metaphors and all of that we, yeah we just gotta leave that in the auditorium for the for the critics and the audience mm. and the writers but it's not actually our business
1: yeah but the um i mean obviously for some of the critics i think uh, some of the national papers absolutely treated it as a a state of the nation play and um i guess particularly in relation to your play 13 that was at the olivier and um maybe king charles iii you know it felt you know you you were not not in a it wasn't they weren't all in in line as it were but there was a an ambition to take on big a big the state of the nation play i guess as as an idea and is that how do you feel about that both how did you feel about that then and how do you feel about that now when we the arguments about these really complex arguments we're in the middle of now about who is entitled to speak about what <laughs> um how do you reflect on that as a writer uh uh well i think i, I think a, a, a few
0: things i was reading i was reading at arthur miller the other day this lockdown you know light reading and um he was <laughs> talking about um Playwrights don't come up with new ideas, really. They, they, but they sense an idea in the ether that actually everyone knows in their gut, but no one's quite there yet. And they dramatize it in a play. And I think that's what, that's what appealed to me about those subject matters about climate change and Mm -hmm. the state and, 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 uh, uh, the crown and, um, Mm -hmm. and then this is that, is that it felt with all of them, there was a, there was a sort of, people were so invested in arguing their side of the 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 argument that, that that there wasn't enough empathy on the other side to understand there must be a truth a very complicated truth in the middle of all of this which is driving these these people towards these places and that's what a play can do is is it investigate very complicated human truths and and i, I think that's that's what in, appeals to me is taking things that are of relevant and interest to everybody in the country and finding ways of making them human and to therefore I suppose there is a there is um a a desire to find common ground and a desire to through the act of empathy to reach out and the hope that that in itself will make us able to move towards a consensus and I think that therefore it's incredibly um, and I do think that's, that's ultimately generally how society has moved forward successfully and progressively. And it, sometimes it's very slow, but it is through a sort of, um, you know, understanding from everybody that we can do better. And then something happens like, like, you know, the NHS or mm-hmm. welfare state or, or, or social attitudes towards all sorts of things. Um, and so the way things are at the moment, which feels like the absolute epitome of, um polarization it feels like the theater has a even greater job to do it's got a massively important job to do which is to humanize and trouble the the strict boundaries of definitions that are being talked about on all sides mm-hmm. you know i don't i think i think if you know in taking the arthur miller idea that we it's an idea that we have in us that we feel instinctive but no one's quite saying i think that the. i think the thing that's instinctively we all know to be true is that we all have wrong thoughts and wrong sides and things that we're not proud of literally every single person and um we have opinions that we would that we 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 might share with some people and not with other people and i feel like that's absolutely where where um theater should be at the moment is writing plays about all that difficult stuff that Mm -hmm. at the moment people have sort of feel like they're just talking about in bubbles rather than Mm -hmm. um with each other uh, and in terms of what I can write about, I feel like any, I do in, I think in theory, any writer can write about anything. And I think that's that's really important, actually. Um, in practice, there are subjects that that I wouldn't, there were things I would never do. Because like, if, if, if the intention of a play was to write the personal life experience of, even just, a per, if the intention of the play was to write a personal life experience of someone in another country in detail, um, that I had, that I had no connection with at all. I almost certainly wouldn't do it. That I, I'm mm-hmm. sure that somebody else could do that better. But I think the intention of the play is the crucial thing. Is what, what, what's your, what's your aim? And mm-hmm. if it's to I- express experience, then you probably need to have had some of that experience. But if mm-hmm. your aim is to express an idea or to tell a story on a different type of thing, then I think, yeah, any writer can write anything. And I think it's sort of crucial that
1: that we do. Yeah do you and what kind of is there any kind of works of art i guess theater or, or tv or film but it could be wider that, that that you take offense at uh
0: i mean yeah 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 and they always they always have i mean I, I remember finding little britain massively offensive at the time i was a student or just i was you know early 20s and i couldn't believe it was on television i i, I didn't I didn't understand why this was allowed and I still don't understand. Mrs. Brown's boys. Um, surely that's, surely that's laughing at women and mm. old women and, and it's a man dressing up as an old woman and laughing at old women and what they do. And I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, but, but I suppose the question is to find offensive. I find that I find it, um, yeah i do find it a bit offensive and i do and i do think it's not it's not a good thing in the world really mm-hmm. um uh and and i'm sure and yes and that i mean I, I remember a um there was a tim crouch play upstairs at the royal court um i can't remember which one it is now but the, the it, it, it had a very graphic depiction of um uh, a sexual act with a baby and and i I found that massively offensive. Like literally I felt disgusted by it and I thought it's unnecessary. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course that was Tim's entire point was to make me feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I found, I came out very sort of troubled by that and finding I sort of thought, I don't, I don't, I don't see any value of that. Um, yeah, yeah. but, but, you know, of course I do think all these things should should be allowed to be on stage and i should as an audience member be allowed to be troubled by them and see them and make my mind up
1: yeah you know and and how do you how do you see the difference i mean i i totally agree with you about the the really important work theatre can do in terms of building consensus and getting difficult things out into a discussion through Narrative and art, but but for you, what's the difference between theatre and, and TV in, in your work there in terms of that reach and um, because obviously theatre is reaching a, a smaller number of people, but they experience it all in one room together. Um, whereas whereas you know your wide reaching work on TV is 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 more accessible in some ways. Um, what, what what do you feel about the two medium and in terms of the way you put together the the stories? Uh...
0: Well, this answer is going to be reductive, so um, <laughs> I already feel that coming. So, apologies for that. Um, uh, I think I think in theatre, I think the reason I feel that in theatre is that is that you, you, by and large you're in the room with a set of people for a period of time, and you, you you're not cutting away to lots of different things, generally speaking. And therefore, what what can you alter? You can alter their attitudes. You know, you can go from one opinion to another, or you can. You can reveal things about the character you hadn't you hadn't realized before and so you're doing that in you're doing psychology and opinion and politics and all that in an emotion in massive amounts of detail and you're sort of you know in, in tv terms you're keeping the camera on them for a long time and seeing what they do and this is sort of putting them under the microscope and mm-hmm. um, that lends itself to complexity and to a detailed analysis of of complicated humanity um, but it's only going to be seen by a tiny, tiny, tiny number of people. Even if you have a West End run for years, very few people are ever going to see it in comparison mm. to the population of the country. So there's that. And then, it, But on television, what is amazing at the power of television is how it genuinely can affect social change and attitudes towards things and, and make things completely different. I think that the I do feel like the attitudes towards, um, homosexuality and gay marriage and, and, um, the sort of, you know, the fact that David Cameron and the Tory party ended up being all for it over the course of 20, you know, when it's a huge change over the course of even 15 years is a lot down to the fact that there are many television programs, which put gay characters absolutely, um, front and center, um, and made them present and made them completely normal in a way that for a lot of people watching those they wouldn't have had a gay person in their life and they got to know gay people through soaps and through quiz vogue and through all those characters and they Mm -hmm. and it that happened nationally and i think the you know i i think television has a real opportunity and and you know a sort of obligation national television to to do that and it's and i think it's it's, it's incredible. So, so when I write television, I, I'm really aware of those sort of social issues and, and to try and make sure that that I'm, that it embodies my values. Um, and, and I'm very, I try to be really, really careful about, um, that, that it's, that it, that it, that, it, that it's going to be interpreted and received in the right way. Um, mm-hmm. whereas in theater, I think, I feel like, uh, i'm I'm less i'm more i feel like the audience comes with an expectation to do that complicated analysis and um i'll sort of let them do that a bit more in the the theater i think
1: Mm -hmm. so so let's finish back i remember um you said once that uh many 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 of your plays are sort of born out of tiny seeds from the play before and of course albion as a word um was, was sort of at the heart of King Charles the Third as well that we did together, and so do, do you sense even in, in a glimmering way what 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 the, there might be a seed in appropriately a seed in Albion that might lead to another sort of play i mean if you, if you were going to take one i don 't know beat or character or idea as a jumping off point, can you see the form of another play somewhere out there or is that or is that secrets? Uh <laughs> Well, oh, no, if it's a secret, it's sort of a secret to me. I, I
0: think one thing that I do find when I'm thinking about plays now is this interrogation of Britain, which has been there in a, quite a few plays for me, um, and uh, and is the, was also there in in Snowflake. Um, mm-hmm. This this middle-aged uh, guy harking back to a. a, a England that he grew up with and wanted sort of wanted back and he sort of framed as normal um that that increasingly i think that that country is gone mm. and and i and i think that the question and, and you know i think a lot of people are asking questions like this now and i think a lot of people would say good riddance to a lot of that stuff mm. the question for me is is i think you have to you have to you know, like Anna says in the play, you have to, what, what are you all doing? You know, they're all dressed up as Agatha Christie characters. Hmm. So what, what on earth are you doing? It, it doesn't make any sense now. And it's offensive and it's odd and it's, oh, it's dressing up. And I think that if you, if you establish that, then, then there's a big question of what, where do you find your identity? If you don't hmm. find it in a sort of post-war, slightly empire-y, slightly, you know agatha christie mm-hmm. john betcham in england um where do all those people that did find that identity where do they now find it and where and how do we as a collective group of people a country um where do we find common ground in order to get things done mm-hmm. and uh that i i don't have any answers to that but i but i but i find myself moving between quite different positions on it. And I think that's often a sign that there's a play there to be written because I don't write plays about things I know the answers to. So mm-hmm. it's good to have a good question.
1: Great. That's fantastic. Great answer. Well, so Albin is on um this Sunday, if you're listening to it before, on the sixteenth of August, uh, as I said at um just after ten on BBC four. But do catch it on iPlayer if you can't see it then. Uh thanks, Mike. Thanks for doing this. And Thank you. It, it was one of the one of the great privileges doing the show with you. So um So I'm thrilled we got to capture it. Thank you for listening to the Almeida Theatre Podcast. Recently, we've had to take the very difficult decision to temporarily close the Almeida. As you can imagine, this has had a profound financial impact on us as a charity. And right now, every penny counts for us. If you are able to support us during this time, any donation, large or small, will make a huge difference. Take care, and I look forward to seeing you at the Almeida soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Almeida Theatre Podcast. For more, head to almeida.co.uk forward slash
1: explore.